Okay, Genesis 15. You just find the uh, insert in your bulletin. Okay. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if you indeed can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. And as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation. They serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenezites, Cabanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from 2 Peter, chapter 2, on the other side of the page. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man, living among them day after day, was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, 
then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like animals, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They're experts in in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beza, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without waters and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them, If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed returns to a wallowing in the mud. Thanks very much. Having um, read those words, uh, I think it's appropriate for us to pray. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that you would uh, prevent my words from being um, empty, boastful words, May we all together now focus on you and your word to us, your true and good word. Uh, Lord, we need to hear it, so please give me the words uh, that you want me to say. Please help us to hear the things you want us to say, that we might become the people you want us to be, people like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you're anything like me, you'd love it if the Christian life was really easy. It'd be really nice if we could just, you know roll on in life just like everyone else and have blessings heaped down on us by the Lord. But it's not the case. It would be nice, but it's not the case, is it? The Bible says that blessing comes when we walk by faith, not by sight. We are to walk by faith, not sight, and that is the way to blessing. 
And that's not always easy because sight says things that are nice and easy to hear and understand. Things like more money equals more blessing. Faith says things like it is more blessed to give than to receive. Sight says if you don't have a partner, you're not blessed. Faith says partners are good, but the Lord knows your needs and cares for you. Sight says, if you get this product or have this experience or have this kind of lifestyle, you're blessed. Faith says, you're blessed if you follow the Lord Jesus. Sight says, comfort is blessing. Faith says, take up your cross and follow Jesus. Faith says, crazy things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Sight thinks that's crazy talk. It just doesn't make sense to our eyes. But as Christians, we are called to walk that way. By faith, not by sight. Now again, if you're anything like me, sight can be pretty convincing sometimes, and we find ourselves walking that way instead of God's way. Well, tonight, uh, we're going to look at Abraham's life. We're in our third week of a four-week series on great men and women of the Bible, and Abraham's got a rate as one of the great men of the Bible, the great man of faith. And my hope is that as we spend this time looking at his life, uh, we'll be encouraged to Choose the path of faith rather than sight, just like Abraham did. We will see a few of his great moments of faith, um, but we'll also see a few moments when Abraham was very human. Like us, he takes the path of sight rather than faith. Uh, It'll be a best bits tour of Abraham's life, just maybe roughly four snapshots of his life. Uh, We'll hear about his faith in the promise, firstly, his faith in the promise, and then a failure of faith, and then a lesson in faith. And finally, we'll see how he had his faith tested. There are kind of four snapshots of his life. And then we'll ask, how can we be like Abraham, this hero of faith? But let's get started. Let's start first with his faith in the promise. Um, If you know anything about Abraham's story, you know that Um, it just starts out of nowhere. It's like a blinding light in the darkness. Uh, This whole blessed world that the Lord had made had fallen into into darkness. And then all of a sudden, out of of nowhere, the Lord gives these incredible promises to a random guy in Babylon called Abram. The promise of great blessing, it kind of breaks down into three parts, this promise. He promises him land, he promises him a nation, a nation of people would come from him, and finally he promises that the whole world would be blessed through that nation, through his family. Uh, The New Testament sums up those promises by saying Abraham was the heir of the world, They're big promises. And yet, to cash in on this promise, Abraham has to do something. God says to him, go from your country, 
your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. That's what he's got to do. But it's not easy. It's not like, um, you know, Abram's been offered a job in London for three years or something like that, you know? It's not like he can go to this place with a similar culture like London, you know, a place where they speak a similar language. It's, it's kind of like Australian, what they speak there. It's not like a similar place where they have overpriced housing so that we feel at home. It's, it's totally different. He says, go from your country, your people, your father's household, everything you know. Leave it all behind, Abram. And go to the place I'll show you. I'm not even going to tell you where it is. You're just going to have to follow. Oh, and Abram, you're never coming home. That's a hard call, isn't it? Especially for a 75-year-old who should probably be settling down and doing some crosswords or something. But Abram, our hero of faith, goes. He can't see any of these promises and yet he chooses to walk by faith and not by sight. He goes. And so it is in chapter 15 that we just have had read for us, uh, Abraham is in the land. Uh, but things aren't going quite according to plan. He'd kept his side of the bargain, he'd gone, and yet God didn't seem to be keeping his end of the bargain. And so we, we meet Abraham lying in bed one night, and he can't sleep. He's kind of tossing thoughts around in his head. What am I doing here? Why did I leave my father's household? I mean, what's happened to the promises, God? You said I'd have a nation, and I don't even have one son. And I'm 80 years old now. Well, our, our kind God knew his concerns and his fears. And so God speaks to him in verse, uh, verses 1 to 3. Would you follow along on your outlines? Chapter 15, verses 1 to 3. God says, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? The one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Do you, hear, do you kind of hear what he's feeling? He's kind of scared and a bit angry at God as well, I think. But God knows those fears, and so he reminds Abram of his promise again. And he makes it a bit more specific this time as well. Uh, keep reading from verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside, you know, outside the tent into the cool night air and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. It's a grand promise. I found out during the week that there's 100,000 million stars in our galaxy. It's incredible. I often think of this promise when um, I'm on the toilet at my in-law's house. There's a reason for that. Um, they have this property down in the middle of the snowy mountains somewhere, and there's an outdoor toilet with no door. And so sometimes I'm sitting there in the middle of the night, or maybe not the middle of the night, but you know what I mean, sitting there and just looking out. 
just sit there for ages, really. Because it's unbelievable. Have, have you ever had that experience where you, you just see the night sky with all... It's like there's more stars than there is empty space. Just counting the stars is impossible. And I think that's what Abram was feeling. God, your promise is impossible. I can't have one child, let alone a nation. And yet, as Abram looked up, craning his neck, trying to count stars, suddenly he stopped. His heart kind of skipped a beat for a moment. And he laughs. And verse 6, Abram believed the Lord. In spite of everything he could see with his eyes, he believed the Lord. He trusted that God would bring about this blessing and give him a son and a nation. At that point, Abram walked by faith, not by sight. And the verse goes on. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Friends, that is righteousness. If you want to relate to God rightly... That's what you do. You take God at his word. Trust him. Even when God's word or command seems ridiculous, seems impossible. That's what Abram did, and that's why he's a hero of faith. Heroes are sometimes hard to follow, though, aren't they? Um, But something I really like about the biblical characters is that apart from Jesus, they're all failures. And I kind of resonate with that. Um, They're not impossible to follow. They stuff up. And this guy, Abram, sure had his share of stuff-ups. And that's what we're going to look at now. Uh, We've seen his faith in the promise, and now we'll see a failure of faith. You see, in the very next chapter, chapter 16, straight after that great moment of faith, he's once again doubting God's promise. I mean, it is getting a bit ridiculous by this point. Abram's 86 years old, and Sarah's not about to pop a baby out anytime soon. And so Sarai, his wife, suggests to Abram, "Um, Darling, Abram, why don't you start a family with my maidservant, Hagar? Well, that's not such a bad idea, thinks Abram. Because God said, um, I'm going to have a a son who's my own flesh and blood. But he didn't say anything about you, honey. Which is pathetic, right? I mean, it's ridiculous. It's kind of like the child saying, oh, mum, I didn't run across the road. I hopped. You know, it's just silly. But Abram looked around himself with his sight. And he decided that God's way wasn't working. It can't be the way to the blessing, to the promise. And so Abram decides he'll go his own way. He'll secure the promise. And so he sleeps with Hagar and has a baby, Ishmael. No surprises, it gets very ugly. Um, The pregnant Hagar rubs Sarai's nose in it. Sarai gets really annoyed at this whole thing and kicks Hagar out, and it's just a total mess. It's kind of, um, you know, days of our lives, Bronze Age version or something like that. Um, But then, 
chapter 17, God speaks into this mess. And what does God say? You fool, Abram. You've forfeited the promises. Does that sound familiar? I hope not. Because that's not what he says. See, the problem for Abram isn't that he's been a bad boy. It's that he doesn't trust the promise. That's the big issue. And so, God again reminds him of the promise. But this time, it comes with a powerful sign, a memorable sign. And that's our next point, a lesson for faith. In chapter 17, verse 6, God reminds Abram once again of the promise. He says, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of, uh, of you and kings will come from you. And then just to make it really clear, God changes Abram's name to Abraham, from exalted father to father of many, father of a people. And Sarai becomes Sarah, princess. Well, Abraham thinks, that's a, thanks God, that's, thanks for reminding me of the promise. It's, it's a great promise. Don't get me wrong, I'm grateful. But how about we do it my way? And so he says in chapter 17, verse 16, sorry, this is still the Lord speaking. The Lord says, I will bless Sarah and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Very specific, it's Sarah. So, but Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to the Lord, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. If only you'd do it my way, God. Look, I've got the child. If only you'd do it my way. I mean, to be honest, God, your way's not going so well. Look at us. I'm 100. My wife's 90. We're not about to produce a child. I mean, we're old well advanced in years, past the age of childbearing. Do you get it? We're basically dead. And babies don't come from dead people. New life doesn't spring out of death. It's a joke, God. And he laughs. But in response, verse 19, God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear your son. You will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. My promise will happen my way. And then God makes his point with this unforgettable symbol, the symbol of circumcision. Are you familiar with what circumcision is, I assume? No one's nodding, so I'll explain. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But, you know, it's a weird, it's a really weird symbol, isn't it? You know, it's, it's hard to spot in a crowd. Um, it's, and I'm sure Abraham was kind of thinking, can I, can I recommend an alternative? Could we just have a T-shirt made up? You know, I am a Jew and proud or something, you know? Like, I, I assume like Abraham, or like me, sorry, Abraham doesn't like sharp things near his penis. Do, do you know... 
We don't talk about penises in church, of course, uh, even though we talk about um, circumcision a fair bit. And I think, am I right? I think it's because it's socially inappropriate. Is that right? Yes. Yes, it is. But I thought I'd get my preaching here off on the wrong foot and, um, and just go for it. Uh, because, and I, I'm, in all seriousness, this is actually a significant thing, the symbol of circumcision, very important for the story of the Bible. Through the ages, the phallic symbol has always been a sign of male virility and power and potency. And that's what Abraham does. He uses his penis to get the promise, to wrap his hands around it. I can do it. I've got the power. I will get the child. God, let's go my way. And God, in response, says, snip, snip. No, I'm cutting that option off. Abram, don't go that way. Do you see what he's saying? It's really weird. You might not have heard that before, and it sounds a bit strange. But it's a powerful symbol of God saying, not by your strength, not your way. Circumcision is a sign of sovereign grace. When God says, I will bring the blessing. I have made the promise. I will make it happen. So Abraham, walk by faith, not by sight. That, of course, doesn't mean Abraham doesn't do anything. Um, No, he sleeps with his wife, Sarah. Happy day, God is faithful. Uh, he, He keeps his promise. And the child, Isaac, is born. Straight after Abraham has admitted to being basically dead, God brings life. And they call him Isaac, which means he laughs. Because it is a joke. It's a brilliant, happy joke that God would bring life out of death, a baby to a 100-year-old. It's a miracle. Praise the Lord. But there is, after the birth of Isaac, one final twist in the Abraham story. And that's our fourth point. There is a test of his faith. Many of you will be familiar with this strange event that happens in chapter 22 of Genesis where God asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Now, if there was ever an event or a command where faith and sight didn't line up, it's this, right? How on earth could that be the way to blessing? How on earth? Everything in Abram's sight, in his thinking, says, that's crazy. God, this is the child that you said would bear the promise. You said you'd bless the world through this child. Well, how could you ask me to do this? And yet, despite everything before his eyes, Abram walks by faith, doesn't he? Not by sight. He obeys God. And he takes his only son, Isaac, for this three-day journey. And then they go up a mountain. Isaac carries the wood himself up the top of the mountain. And then um, Abraham makes an altar of the wood and lays his son on the wood. And he takes out the knife. 
And as he comes down, the Lord speaks. Stop. Don't do it, Abraham. Don't touch the boy. For now I know that you fear me because you have not kept your son from me, your only son. I mean, every time I read that, I think that is unbelievable faith. And I thank the Lord that none of us will be called to do that. It's unspeakable obedience. And it's the climax and conclusion to Abraham's story. He was promised great blessing, including this son, this child. He wavered in his faith. He wavered in his, his trust in that promise. He went his own way. And, but then God taught him that no, it wasn't the promise wouldn't come his way, it would come God's way. And Abraham expressed that faith in this strange and unique event. Well, that's you know, a potted tour of Abraham's story. Um, but the question we need to ask ourselves is, um, how can we be like this guy, this hero of faith? I assume we want to be like a hero of faith. Because we're in a very similar boat to Abraham, aren't we? Uh, he was called to kind of walk by faith, not by sight. And that's our story too, isn't it? We can't see that Jesus is Lord. And day to day, we, we can't see why a lot of his commands make sense. We can't see why we should live that way. Like, for example, we can't see how truthfulness, being truthful, actually leads to blessing. We can't always see how singleness could ever be a blessing. We can't see how kindness and humility could lead to blessing or how generosity could bring blessing, how taking up my cross and following Jesus could lead to blessing. We, we can't see that. Those things, they're kind of, they seem more like losing out, not blessing. They seem more like the path of death than blessing. And so, friends, you and I, we sometimes, just like Abraham, take the path of sight rather than faith. We take our own way to the blessing. So we fudge the truth. We date the non-Christian. We puff ourselves up and push others down. We spend so much money on our lifestyles that we've got nothing left to be generous with. We take our own route to the blessing, the way of sight. Even as I was preparing this sermon, I found myself thinking, oh, I, just, I really hope people think I'm okay. Did you see, like, I will be blessed. It'll be all okay if, if you like me, which is the way of sight. It's not the way of faith. I'm going my own way. But friends, I'm thankful um, for God's spirit at work in me and in us um, that many of us actually want to walk by faith. Do you want to walk by faith, not by sight? Do you want to? Excellent. Thank you. So how then? We want to know how. How did Abraham do it in his hero of faith moments? And can we do that as well? What enabled him to do it? And the answer to the question is, Abraham was convinced about God. Sounds pretty bland, doesn't it? 
You see, Abraham's faith wasn't a superpower. It was a super conviction. He was convinced about this God, that the God who'd promised him blessing was committed to that promise, was committed to being faithful, and not even death could get in the way of that. Abraham learnt that through his experience with his son Isaac. Um, He learnt uh, through this promise of Isaac that the blessing wouldn't come his way, but God's way. He learnt that God could bring life out of death. God waited until Abraham said, Lord, I'm effectively dead. And then the Lord brought life. The Lord kept his promise and brought life out of death. He brought that blessing. And I think that's what enabled Abraham to go through that test. Because you see, he, he had this conviction that God would keep his promise. And not even death could stand in the way. That's he was, how he was able to offer Isaac. And brothers and sisters, that is your God. That's our God. The one who has promised us blessing in Abraham, in Jesus, and not even death will stand in the way of him keeping that promise. Abraham learned that lesson by looking at his son Isaac. You and I learn that lesson by looking at God's only son, Jesus. He's the ultimate example of this, isn't he? Jesus who lived a life that sight wouldn't approve of. Sight wouldn't suggest living the kind of life Jesus did. It was crazy. It was the kind of life where people would say, that's not going to get you ahead, Jesus. A life that was kind of like a life of death. He, Jesus, like Isaac, was sacrificed on a mountain. He carried his wood up to the top of that hill, was laid down on that wood like an altar, and was killed for us. The knife wasn't stayed. And yet out of his death, God brought life. Jesus rose. And in his new life, the blessing flowed. God kept his promise to bless the world through Jesus' death and new life. Jesus' new life is like you know, shaking up a champagne bottle and popping the top off. Blessings just bubble over and flow out everywhere. Friends, we, we now know forgiveness. We know God's love. We know his presence with us by his spirit. We've got life with him. We are actually like Abraham now, heirs of the world. As Paul puts it, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms In Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this is the God we know and worship. The one who promises blessing and will work through death to bring that blessing. No problem. Death can't stand in his way. So the question I asked a little while ago was, how are we going to walk that path of faith rather than sight? How are we going to be like Abraham? The answer is to be convinced of that truth, the truth about this God. It's actually trusting that that will enable us um, 
if I can put it in these terms, to circumcise our dreams. To say, God, I'm not going to go my way. I'm going to cut that way off. I'm going to trust that your way is the way to blessing. The way of faith, friends, it's going to look stupid sometimes. I'm sure you've had that experience. You might not be able to see how generosity or chastity or humility or taking up your cross, you might not be able to see how that could possibly bring blessing. It might seem more like the way of death. But friends, we follow a God who brings life out of death for your blessing. Can I say, if you're visiting tonight and you don't know this God, I commend him to you. If you're still looking for blessing apart from Jesus, friend, come and trust in this Lord and discover blessing, the promise of blessing evermore. And may we all, brothers and sisters, walk by faith, not by sight, in every little decision day by day, until that day when his promise fully arrives, when the blessing is fully unpacked, on that day when our bodies um, move from death to life, on that day when faith vanishes into sight and we can now walk by sight and not by faith. Would you pray with me? Lord, we want to confess that we so often find ourselves walking by sight and not by faith because there's so many things in this world that draw our attention away from you. And your promises, we can't see so many of them, Lord. It's so hard to follow. Thank you for the example of Abraham, for his faithfulness, and for your faithfulness to him. Thank you for Jesus and his faithfulness. And thank you so much for your faithfulness to us in giving us your only son, giving him new life, and giving us blessing in him. May you help us, Lord, to walk by faith this week and not by sight. Help us to keep walking by faith till that day when faith vanishes into sight. Or bring that day, Lord Jesus. Amen.